When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The there are some things in this world that we just don't have explanations for. Sure, while there's probably a logical reason, other times we'd like to imagine stranger and more horrifying possibilities, like ghosts. The fascination of the eerie, weird, blood-chilling tales told by old Nancy, the witch of Salem, and Satan, her wise black. Humans have pretty much believed in ghosts since the beginning of time. An article from The Conversation says this belief is from prehistoric times, all the way back to our caveman instincts. It's truly impossible to know what got us thinking about ghosts, but we've been trying to solve the mystery of are they real and can we prove it for eons. In the 19th century, during the peak of spiritualism, seances were all the rage and Ouija boards were increasingly popular. Those that wanted to talk to ghosts weren't just on the fringes of society, but many of them were actually scientists. The Society for Psychial Research or SPR was established and filled with mathematicians, scholars, and authors among their early members. That's not to say that scholars can't be ghost hunters today, but that's not really the vibe you get from watching those types of shows. Now, modern ghost hunting has taken on a different turn. A couple people with a camera typically go into an old, supposedly haunted location and jump at the slightest sound. Eerie, suspenseful music plays, and it makes the show into a sort of found footage horror movie and weird noises, cold spots, and bad feelings fill the program. The equipment used, like thermal imaging cameras and EMF readers seem legit, so hey, who are you as an audience member to argue with the cold hard science, right? What else could possibly be the reason for a figure crossing in front of a thermal camera? It just has to be a ghost. There's no other explanation. Hell, even if you know it's exaggerated, it's still entertaining, like listening to a ghost story around a campfire, except you're seeing it play out on your TV. However, more and more in recent years, these programs are getting called out for being transparently fake. Longtime paranormal investigators have specifically called out the TV programs on ghost hunting, accusing them of being unrealistic, among other things. Size clown doll's left hand just moved off of its lap. I try to debunk that this was caused simply by my- Amico, the founder of AZ Paranormal Investigations and Research Society, says that a guy claiming he felt something touch him or a door slamming off camera is the easiest stuff to fake because there's no way to prove its validity. Are you serious? Plus, most of the ghost hunting programs out there are based on experiences from cast and crew instead of cold hard evidence. Some don't even feel faked, but just straight up ridiculous. With a crew of British paranormal series that was called Most Haunted, they were trying to capture a vengeful spirit of a pet monkey in an episode. Put down to the legend of the monkey. It's the monkey doing it. Not because the monkey's distressed or feeling jammed, And I guess the pet monkey in this scenario was upset that it was separated from its master. And 
It's hilariously bad. So one of the hosts, Derek, also tapped into spirits or got possessed during filming. Like, maybe it's just me, but seeing him shout nonsense like ick ed at the camera doesn't convince me that ghosts are real. Apparently, one time after chanting Mary loves Dick on repeat, Richard or Dick being the spirit, the crew burst out laughing and the raw footage was released, effectively proving that the whole thing was faked. And I'm sorry, Derek, I know he passed away a couple years ago. So, hey, if nothing else, it was entertaining. But it's the program Ghost Hunters that seemed to start it all and it triggers this tidal wave of paranormal programming. Salon's written an article stating that real-life ghost hunters consider the TV program Ghost Hunters the bane of their existence. The supposed real ones call themselves parapsychologists and consider themselves to be more like the modern-day SPR. They search for evidence and at one point even received grants for their work to study hauntings. Now, ever since TV ghost hunters have entered the arena, the demand for parapsychologists has plummeted while the accusations of fakery and bad science have skyrocketed. So what has happened to modern day ghost hunting? Is any element of these TV programs real? And will we ever really find proof that ghosts exist this way? Do you possess these clowns? Can I hear you laugh? Is there someone buried under this school? I feel like something is literally pushing me out. Like someone's leading. This is 10 times scarier than the Stanley Hotel to me. Heavy feelings in here, dude. Hello, and welcome to Dark Dives. I'm the Illuminati, and today we are, of course, going to be talking about ghost hunting, the tech, the fakery, the truth, and everything in between. Now that we know just a little bit about how ghost hunting is seen today, let's get into how it's done and start discussing the technology. According to The Atlantic, technological failure has helped spark the ghost hunting movement since the 1860s. Back in 1861, William Mumler, a jeweler's engraver, was studying a brand new trade of photography when a shadowy figure appeared on a plate he was developing. Mumler was fully aware it was an error. He hadn't sufficiently scrubbed the plate he was using of its previous exposure. Yet Mumler showed his spiritualist friend anyway and passed it off as real. His friend, as someone who believed in spirits and ghosts, was fascinated and believed him. Pretty soon, spiritualists everywhere called the picture proof of death. And when Mumler realized that he could make a pretty penny off these people, he said he discovered a phenomenon and started charging people for his photos. You all know those old timey sepia photos depicting ghosts that just have to be real because they were created in the days before Photoshop? Well, Someone like Mumbler exists. And so yeah, a form of Photoshop did exist back then in its own unique form. Caitlin from Ask a Mortician has actually posted a whole video about this technique on her channel and how it can be recreated. And it is a fascinating watch. I absolutely recommend it. But let's face it, those kinds of photos wouldn't be enough proof for the modern day person, right? Like they're just too easy to fake and to lie about. Hell, I'm sure there's probably a filter out there on Snapchat or TikTok or something that could make like a ghost appear too. Bit by bit, the technology around ghost hunting has leveled up the longer it's been around. Back in the 1950s, a woman's ghostly face supposedly appeared in a family's television and wouldn't disappear, even after the TV was turned off. A few years later, a painter and filmmaker claimed he heard the voices of his deceased wife and father on his cassette recorder. Today, there are a few set things ghost hunters seem to use and rely on. 
a voice recorder to capture EVP or electronic voice phenomena. A camera is obviously used to capture any blurs, faces, or even orbs in the vicinity. An EMF or electromagnetic field detector as ghosts can apparently give off electromagnetic fields. An infrared thermometer to show temperature changes. And then of course, a spirit box that can scan radio frequencies and create white noise that a ghost can use to communicate. But is this science actually proven? Well, let's take a look at these gadgets and see. It went off again. As soon as Daryl, Chris, and I got up on the third floor, we caught this figure moving from left to right across the thermal imaging camera. We'll start with the EVP recordings and spirit boxes because those are along the same vein. You're trying to communicate with a ghost by talking to it. The first issue I have with EVP seems like a pretty obvious one, the language barrier. If a ghost hunter wanders into a remote location in Japan or an ancient castle in Italy, does it make any sense whatsoever for that ghost to respond to them in English? It's flat out ridiculous and unbelievable. I think that English speakers may hear an English response, but that doesn't mean the ghost is actually saying that. Supernatural Magazine has explained this away with the universal mind theory, stating that every creature upon death has access to the universal mind or the knowledge of everything that has ever lived. And I mean, if we think that's possible, then why wouldn't these ghosts also have the knowledge of how to prove that they're real? Wouldn't these ghosts, if they really have infinite wisdom and knowledge as the theory goes, be doing far more than wandering their old houses and telling tourists to get out? It kind of seems like a cop-out to me. But let's say these ghosts are talking to us using EVP. How do we know that they're saying anything? Well, the short answer is we don't. Even if we assume that these sounds are not deliberate fraud, which is a pretty big assumption in of itself, getting rid of confirmation bias is practically impossible. If you show a paranormal researcher a recording of what they believe to be a ghost, of course, you're probably going to get something spooky out of it. Hell, even if you show it to a regular John Smith, that can happen too. According to the conversation, Research in mainstream psychology has shown that people will readily perceive words in strings of nonsensical speech sounds. People's expectations about what they're supposed to hear can result in the illusory perception of tones, nature sounds, machine sounds, and even voices when only acoustic white noise, like the sound of a detuned radio, exists. Studies show that the suggestion of a paranormal research topic when listening to ambiguous EVP recordings makes participants substantially more likely to hear voices. Plus, even if people do hear voices, it's pretty rare that anyone can agree on what they're actually saying. If it's captioned, like many of these ghost hunting programs do, then sure, someone can be suggestible to believe that it's saying that. But deciphering it in the first place is an entirely different story. It reminds me of pareidolia, or our instinct to see faces in everyday objects. It's why those windows on the eerie house down the block look like they have eyes, and why your Aunt Marjorie insists that she's seen Jesus's face in a potato chip. Our brains are often looking for faces, and in this case, our ears are listening for voices too. That doesn't mean that no voice whatsoever exists, but calling it proof of a ghost is a bit of a stretch too. Apparently, there's also a rich history of using methods to examine auditory perception, making EVP little more than pseudoscience. It's not that the people who believe they truly hear ghost sounds are idiots, especially as how the BBC puts it. They're just taken in by techniques that have been known to fool us all and the tricks that EVP can play on our minds. Spirit boxes, which scan radio frequencies to try and capture a ghost voice, work using similar concepts. And that's in the fact that you'll hear someone talking to you in the mix of all the jumbled voices. But what about the other tools that ghost hunters use? We talked about EVP, now what about EMF? 
EMF readers, otherwise known as electromagnetic field readers, were designed to locate potentially harmful radiation from power lines or household appliances. You can still use it for this purpose, but these things are, and there's really no other word for it, a mess. They're unshielded, so they can be set off by cell phones, watches, radios, basically anything that gives off EM waves. It's very erratic, and it's very prone to false positives and easily manipulated. The Atlantic refers to one interviewer, Kenny Bibble, who went into great detail on his website in 2014 as to how these things work. As shown on his site, the EMF is just made of a case, a circuit board, battery, and some LED lights. Sometimes a simple design is better. Don't fix what isn't broken, right? Other times, simple can also just mean easy to mess around with. Kenny writes that the EMF reader gained notoriety after the third season of Ghost Hunters, when the hunters said they could communicate with ghosts via LED lights. Quote, in an episode covering an investigation of the Manson murders, Grant Wilson states, the K2 meter measures magnetic fields and it's been specially calibrated for paranormal investigators. Kenny retorts, I have yet to uncover exactly how this device could possibly be specially calibrated for paranormal investigators, but he's on TV, so he must be right, right? The statement is not only false, it's absurd. He also adds that applying just enough pressure on the power switch of the device with only a tiny bit of contact would actually make the LEDs dance crazily or flash twice on a consistent basis. Does this mean that every single ghost hunter is maliciously button mashing to make you believe a lie? I wouldn't even go that far. It's possible that some novice ghost hunters are using it simply because it's a standard in their industry and don't recognize the flaws in the system. I'm sure there are those with malicious intent too, but we can't know for sure. As a whole, it just seems like we really shouldn't be reliant on this technology in the slightest because of how faulty it is. And yet it's seen as a standard for ghost hunters. EMF readers are arguably more known for being ghost hunter equipment than actual tools at this point. Like seriously, if you go online looking to buy one of these, two out of the top three best-selling readers are explicitly marked as ghost meters. Now, though this article was written in 2016, if you go on Amazon today and just search EMF reader, almost all of them have ghost hunting or paranormal research meter somewhere in the title. There are other somewhat similar devices too, like an REM pod that has its own electromagnetic field and will react when anything comes near it. Skeptics have similar complaints about the REM pod and our good old friend, Kenny Bibble seems to argue that the sheer basis of these devices are flawed. He wrote that he couldn't even find a standard definition for electromagneticity. And when he asked Jonathan Vanover, a doctor of computer science, what that term meant, Vanover told him it looked like, quote, a made up word, nothing more than electromagnetic with the word icity added in at the end. And fun fact, adding the suffix icity, which is defined as denoting a quality or condition to an actual term doesn't actually make you smart or legitimate, but these gadget lovers may not have gotten that memo. Unsurprisingly, when Kenny took the REM pod apart, it once again had really basic features that could be easily manipulated. Hell, when you dig into it, the REM pod looks like a vibration activated light sphere, which is more accurately a cat toy that's been repurposed for ghost hunters. And I'm sorry, but if you're gonna market a device to detect ghosts, then it maybe needs to be impenetrable to the outside world. According to Kenny, even when he was walking around on a different floor, this REM pod would be set off pretty easily and purposefully. So you're gonna tell me that a whole camera crew for a television show would not be able to set it off? One former ghost hunter has downright stated that yes, these pods can be set off at will. And even if the data gathered isn't nefarious, it can't possibly be seen as empirical proof either. There's also the matter of these devices setting each other off. A two-way radio can trigger a REM pod, for example. 
Therefore, it seems pretty possible that ghost hunters with a shit ton of equipment are just tripping their own devices with their other devices. And I'd love to be proven wrong, but unless these reality shows are going to tear open their little ghost boxes and explain how they actually work and how they're protected against interference, I'm more inclined to believe that it's just a reality show misusing devices for entertainment than any proof of a ghost. Another thing that is consistently recognized as proof of ghosts is orbs. Cameras not focusing, strange balls of light being shown in photos, things of that nature. Some sites like Color Psychology will even tell you what the orbs mean. White is a divine energy, solid black is negative, bright orange is protective, and bright green is something that comes to you if you need healing and so on and so forth. Now, if you believe in this, that's totally up to you. I'm not going to say that all spiritual beliefs are garbage or anything. However, treating an orb as an indisputable evidence of a ghost or spirit might just be crossing a line from believing in energies to downright misinformation. And the claims surrounding these orbs have been widely exaggerated for years now. So first and foremost, let's get to something that's pretty obvious when you go to any old or supposed haunted place. There's dust, dirt, and insects. And those can all work as viable explanations as to how these supposed orbs show up. And before you say, oh, but I never see that many orbs in my house. Well, hopefully your home isn't as dirty as some crumbling castle or a graveyard or abandoned building. It makes sense that those places are going to be full of dust. I actually really appreciate this one ghost tour site called Colonial Ghosts because even they admit that orbs are not real proof and we should stop considering them as such. They mention dust, pollen, insects, foreign material on a camera lens, and even drops of liquid in the air from high humidities as the cause of orbs. Plus, when you change the settings of a camera to adapt to the dark or use a camera with night vision as most ghost hunting takes place at night, that can also up the chances you'll see orbs as some sort of ghostly image. Even sites like American Hauntings that you'd think would talk all about these orbs being evidence are debunking them. Troy Taylor wrote over a decade ago on the site that the vast majority of orb photos can be blamed on low resolution and low pixel cameras. Both Taylor as well as Colonial Ghosts make it a point to say that these orb photos were rare before the invention of the digital camera. Researchers have even gone to cemeteries with both film and digital cameras, taking photos of the exact same location. And sure enough, it's the latter that's filled with these orbs, not because the digital cameras are better at capturing the ghosts, but reflections off dust particles with their flash and things of that nature help to bring those things into focus when it's really nothing more than just that, dust, specks of dirt, whatever, but not ghosts. Yet everyone from the Long Island medium on TLC to paranormal researchers featured on news outlets to ghost inclined YouTubers like Graveyard Girl have all implied or questioned if these orbs are paranormal in nature. Proving that a ghost exists is a daunting task and likely even an impossible one. And I don't think that some sort of cat toy lighting up in different colors or some dust floating across a camera should be seen as evidence. Like, I'm sorry, but unless these ghost hunters can definitively tell me what they captured isn't explained away by a normal occurrence, my brain just isn't going to jump to, oh yeah, that's a ghost right there. Like, I'm sorry, you, you gotta prove it on a reasonable doubt. That's your job as a paranormal investigator, isn't it? So then why are you using dinky, pathetic, cheap EMF readers that are so easily manipulated? And again, maybe this is just me. Maybe there's more to this equipment that I'm just not getting, but as it stands, I'm pretty unconvinced. Thankfully though, I'm not alone in this either. Remember how earlier I said there was a difference between parapsychologists and ghost hunters? Well, one of the former, Dr. Andrew Nichols, co-received the only grant ever rewarded to study hauntings. 
He believes that the TV is also pushing questionable science and gave Salon a laundry list of reasons back in 2010. Here's a quote from that. Investigations always take place at night. Why would ghosts only come out then? How can you be a good observer in the dark? Investigators use unproven scientific seeming instruments like magnetometers, which have ultimately failed to produce replicable results. They suggest that every odd sound, every cold spot and every orb, which has been explained away as side effects of digital cameras are signs of ghosts. More generally, as Nichols puts it, they run around like little girls. Expectedly, there have also been accusations of fakery and exaggerations going on within these ghost hunting communities. And it's pretty obvious that some of these hunters are in it for all the wrong reasons. But surely no one gets harmed by this silly little white lie, right? And before we get into that and some of more of the obvious fakery and the consequences of those actions, we're gonna take a moment to hear from our own friendly floof, our friendly ghost, Casper. Casper's back and he's got new deals to share. This holiday season, when you switch to Mint Mobile and get any three month plan, you'll get another three months for free. That's right, free. Mint Mobile knows that getting the best gifts at the best prices is important this holiday season, especially for friendly boys like Casper who have so many people on their list to shop for. But no matter who you're shopping for, Mint Mobile has you covered. Does your cousin want to look old school with a brick phone and play the game Snake all day? No worries, they can bring their own phone to the plan. Are you on a budget but desperate to give your grandma that upgrade she needs to use all those adorable emojis her heart desires? Well, Mint Mobile has you covered there too. Mint Mobile actually offers smartphones for less than $100 too. Maybe you have a relative who doesn't really use data but texts all the time? Well, they've got you covered as well because with Mint Mobile, you only buy what you need, nothing more and nothing less. Plus, it's just 15 bucks a month for unlimited talk and text. Plus you'll have access to the nation's largest 5G network. But if you do happen to need a new device, then we've got even more good news for you. Because for a limited time only, if you purchase a device and select a new plan, you'll get six months of free service. And these deals are perfect for the holidays. I used to pay 90 to $120 a month before I switched to Mint Mobile. But if you get Mint Mobile's buy three, get three months free deal, you could pay just $45 for half a year's service, $45. That means that what you would pay for two weeks of service from one of Mint's competitors will get you six months of service at Mint Mobile. And that's an absolute no brainer. But what if you really don't want to face those holiday crowds or waiting in those long lines? Well, you don't have to do that either because Mint Mobile lets you order and activate their devices from home. So while you're sipping on that delicious hot cocoa topped with whipped cream and marshmallows, you can use an eSIM and switch effortlessly and comfortably. And if you're not super tech savvy, that's also okay. Mint Mobile's fantastic customer service is here to help. Whether you want to buy an incredible gift for your loved ones or even a gift for yourself, this holiday season, do your shopping at mintmobile.com Casper. You can buy any three month Mint Mobile plan and get another three months for free. Again, that's mintmobile.com Casper. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com Casper. This is me standing in front of what's widely considered to be the most haunted hotel in the US, the Stanley Hotel. Every ghost hunting program that comes here somehow has this insane, traumatic, life-altering experience after staying here for just one- From trick strings on ghost hunters to mediums that communicate with ghosts that don't even exist, it's really no surprise that there's been some fakery going on. Even more common and annoying than that though, there are exaggerations. 
Between deciding to make this episode and actually researching and writing the script, Danny Gonzalez released a video called, I tried ghost hunting to see if it was fake. And honestly, I adore it. Is every ghost show and paranormal YouTuber over exaggerated? The entire time, Danny goes around on one of the most infamous haunted hotels, the Stanley Hotel right here in Colorado, and essentially debunks the experiences of other YouTubers and TV shows. Oh, you heard some weird noises at night? Yeah, Danny spoke with the staff and learned that they literally play pranks on one another and guests on a regular basis. One ghost hunting show said that all the unused old mattresses out back were mattresses that people died on. One of the staff told Danny that because they're a hotel, they're going to obviously have old mattresses laying around. And oh, a bunch of weird spots on a rug, someone definitely urinated on that carpet because it's a hotel and people are gross. I just appreciate the unbiased and practical nature of his video because you're absolutely not going to find that in a lot of popular ghost hunting circles. Actual, genuine, trying to find the truth style ghost hunting doesn't really exist in a lot of these shows or videos anymore. One of the YouTubers Danny brings up frequently is, and I don't like to bring him up, but Shane Dawson. And while I know Shane has a whole massive laundry list of other controversies from the way he treats young girls to the way he's treated animals, let's just talk about the ghost hunting part, shall we? Oh my God. Wait, are they fucking with us? Oh, try this. Oh my God. Just unlocking the door to his room is almost enough to send Shane packing. Oh my God. This is creepy. The episode of him horrible. ghost hunting in a haunted ship has over 30 million views. And I'll be frank, it's all the exaggerated tropes about this genre rolled into one episode. A squeaking door and flickering lights elicit ill reactions, spooky music and gasps of fear a night vision camera having trouble focusing in a dim room is apparently scary. And Shane himself said he felt something and that's indisputable. But once you get past introductions, every few minutes, someone says, did you hear that? Or did you feel that? When you stop and think about it critically, it's kind of laughable, but maybe that's all ghost hunters are trying to be entertaining. So then what's the actual harm of ghost hunters if they're just trying to make a silly TV show to get you to believe in the paranormal for a few minutes? Well, firstly, there's the damage done to the parapsychologists. Those who do take this seriously and seek out actual scientific evidence now have a massive stigma associated with their field. Ironically, these ghost hunters supposedly trying to prove that ghosts exist have actually made it harder than ever for researchers to do exactly that. It's much more difficult for them to receive grants and gain academic positions. The field is considered a joke, largely to put it bluntly, and these TV shows have not helped. Harris Friedman, a professor at the University of Florida's psychology department, says that a file drawer problem has been created, which he describes as any negative findings being buried and only positive ones getting published. Apparently, as a doctorate student, he experienced that firsthand and was told that he wouldn't have an academic career if he published his study about children having a better chance of guessing cards when they didn't like each other. I'm not sure what this guessing entailed exactly, but the point remains the same. Ghost hunters that offer some semblance of proof are heard and popularized no matter how invalid or questionable that proof seems to be. Whereas those that are really studying in the field and trying to answer the age old question of are ghosts real in a scientific way are pushed aside. Phony ghost hunters, in my opinion, are literally damaging our ability to discover ghosts one day if they do exist. Some former ghost hunters have even been brought up on consequences you may not think about, like ignoring mental illnesses. Bray told CT Post that quote, We've had a lot of cases where we debunked paranormal activity and attributed it to a psychiatric issue, which was then taken around as a diagnosis by a psychiatrist. If we go in there and say that your paranormal activity is indeed paranormal and you have medical issues, not only could we be held liable for negligence, but we're enabling that mental illness for you, possibly making it worse and not helping. 
And I'll be honest, I'm not sure I would have considered this if it were not for this article, but he's got a point. It's wholly possible that some of the people calling these shows have serious undiagnosed mental illnesses, but instead of helping anyone, the shows are prioritizing profit. What if these guests go on to hurt themselves or others, or even just continue living in fear of a non-existent ghost because these ghost hunters were more concerned with their spirit boxes than getting to the root of what was actually happening? But there's far more to the downsides of ghost hunting as entertainment. In a way, this industry is a crossroads between the true crime industry and dark tourism. And at times it shares the same disgusting trait that they all do, exploitation. Now that's not to say that every ghost hunter is exploitative, but it's not all that hard to find those that are. As an aside, I do have an episode dedicated to dark tourism. I do have one talking about why serial killers are not sexy and to stop romanticizing them because you wouldn't believe it, but people do. And I will be coming out in the future with an episode about the true crime genre as a whole. One TV program called The Real Ghosts said that their in-house medium revealed new information about Lady Mo, the wife of a provincial deputy governor. The show suggested that her adopted daughter was a mistress of her husband because a medium said it. And since when did the words of a medium constitute as factual evidence? And it not only disrespected Lady Mo and her adopted daughter, but it also infuriated the local people of the area. Other ghost hunters have gone to Jeffrey Dahmer's former home to try and communicate with him. They've gone to plantations, asylums, anywhere where there's been tragedy and death. And this feeds directly into dark tourism and in my opinion, just profits off of other people's pain. Personally, if I saw ghost hunters go to a cemetery to speak with maybe one of my like dead loved ones and just try and speak to them or claim they did. And then they say something, you know, of course weird because these shows don't actually know these people or anything about the history of them. I don't think I'd like that. What right do you have to use someone else's loss as a vehicle to make money? All in all, as they can be quite similar at times, I think one universal rule applies here. When watching these ghost hunting programs or partaking in dark tourism, it's important to ask yourself if you'd be okay with it if these hunters or tours spoke about you and your loved ones in the exact same manner. If not, then maybe we need to rethink how ghost hunting is actually done. But with all of that being said, that is where I'm going to end today's episode of Dark Dives. I hope you enjoyed this little spooky look at ghost hunters. Let me know your thoughts. How do you feel about it? I'm someone who's truthfully pretty mixed in the middle. I am quite skeptical. I don't wanna believe in ghosts. I don't think they're real, but I do think that doing what they're doing, essentially making money off of the dead is also a little bit creepy and wrong in its own way. But hey, let me know your thoughts. And as always, thank you so much for making it to the end of the episode. I do really appreciate it. Big shout out to everyone over at patreon.com slash Illuminati. Love your faces. And I'll see you everybody in the next episode. Bye. I'd like to know who we're speaking with. Are we speaking to a person right now? Are you associated with the hospital? It's a woman's voice.